Welcome everyone to this week's Election Connection, where we try to engage, inform, document, and discuss all things and people relating to our elections, in particular the midterm election coming right up on Tuesday, November the 8th. I'm your host, Ruth Newman, here on your all-volunteer community radio station, WFMP 106.5 FM. Today's show features a candidate forum for Metro Council District 25 put on by the Louisville League of Women Voters. And after that, you will hear my co-host, Victoria Strange, and me discussing our findings and opinions regarding Rand Paul, the Republican incumbent, and Charles Booker, the Democrat, both of them seeking the office of U.S. Senator from Kentucky. Forward Radio does not endorse any particular candidates or pieces of legislation, but we do endorse the need for an informed electorate. As such, we offer equal airtime to all registered candidates for any particular office, and you can get in touch with us at forwardradio.org. So let's start off with Maureen Welch from the Louisville League introducing the candidates for Metro Council District 25. I'm Maureen Welch and it is so wonderful to be here at the Iroquois Library. I'm also a member of the League of Women Voters and on behalf of the League of Women Voters and our co-sponsors we welcome you to this candidate forum. This is one way that the League of Women Voters informs and encourages voters. We will hear from candidates for Metro Council 25. Khalil, Charlie, Fashion. He's representing the Republican Party. And we have the incumbent, Amy Houghton Stewart, who represents the Democrat Party. So, Mr. Batchman, you are up first for um, your opening remarks. Maureen, thank you. Thank you for the library for allowing us to be here. Um, my name's Khalil Batchon, and I am a long life South End resident, and I live to serve the community. I've been serving the South End my entire life, um, especially my career. Um, I look to do the same for the Metro Council. Um, I own a restaurant um, and some business in the South End. And again, I sit on the board of the Southwest Community Ministries. Um, I've sat on the Riverside Farms and Mormon Board as well as a board member for the Kentucky Restaurant Association. So I hope you can listen to me today as I tell you why I think I'm the one for Metro Council District 25. Now, Councilwoman Hope Stewart. Thank you, Maureen. And thank you to the League of, of Women Voters for hosting this wonderful event tonight. Um, I think it gives us the opportunity to share our, our thoughts and our views, and, and it's important for our constituents to hear those uh, different opinions. My name is Amy Holton Stewart, and I am the incumbent, the, the councilwoman for District 25, which represents the south and southwest part of Louisville. I proudly was appointed in January of 21, um, when David Gates left to go to the state senate, uh, I was selected among uh, other candidates to fill his spot. Uh, just a little bit about myself, I'm retired JCPS. I worked at PRP High School and at Greenwood Elementary School, where I was the Family Resource and Youth Service Center Coordinator. And I believe it's those life experiences, those career experiences that have brought me uh, to where I am today that have given me the wealth of knowledge that it takes to, to have this position. So thank you. 
Amy is going to be up first on our questions. So the first one that I had for her, gun deaths and violence in our community continue to increase. What do you propose to tackle this pervasive problem? Thank you, Maureen. Um, yes, I'm aware that this is the number one issue that is facing our community uh, and our city as a whole. We have to continue to support our police. Um, I just met with Chief Shields just yesterday and she um, let us know that they are still down 300 officers. But I'm a proud sponsor of the most recent uh, contract that our FOP members uh, and our police officers received so that they could receive the, the needed raise and, and benefits that they, that they got to uh, be able to recruit new officers and to be able to retain the officers that we have. District 25 has also invested overtime funding uh, to hire police officers uh, after hours to patrol our neighborhoods to help keep them safe. And there's data that shows that it's working, that this overtime funding is actually working um, in District 25. So I'm very proud of that investment that we've made. I also want you to know that I have received uh, the endorsement of all of the FOP organizations here in Louisville, including River City, which is our LMPD um, officers. And I will continue to work closely with them to make sure that they have the tools and that they have everything that they need to be a successful department moving forward. Knowing that they've had some struggles in the past, I will be their number one supporter. Okay, so my question for you, sir. Gun deaths and violence in our community continue to increase. What do you propose to tackle this pervasive problem? So same question. Next up is Khalil Charlie Batchen. First and foremost, I support the police and the first responders 110%. Um, I think that in regards to guns, Maureen, that we need to get tougher on the crime and the criminals that are committing those crimes. We can continue to push legislation and laws against the abiding citizens that are not committing the crimes, but continue to give second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances to the criminals that are committing the crimes. So first and foremost, we need to get tougher on the on the criminals who are committing the crimes to mitigate those, those um, deaths and murders. We need to definitely listen to the officers that we have on the streets that are doing the job on the day to day to understand where the culture and the morale is and fix that issue there. Invest in the resources and the, and the things that they need to do their job well. With the fact that Ms. Stewart mentioned overtime hours why do we continue to invest money in overtime? As a business owner, overtime costs you more money. So why don't we invest the money into better quality candidate pool, get better and quality officers on the streets, trained to the efficient level that they need, pay them the proper wage, so we're not wasting our city's money in overtime hours, and we have an adequate amount of police and less overtime work, so the officers are doing more of a day-to-day -day job rather than burning out. Okay, the next question is, deaths by substance affect all of us, all over the city. What needs to be done, and does the health department need more resources? Death by substance is extremely crucial in our community. It is happening more and more, and more of our families are experiencing this. With that being said, I think the health department has the resources and is being continuously funded by the Metro Council for all the resources and tools that they need 
to operate and do their job. I think we need to do a better job of investing in the health department's facility and infrastructure so they can adequately do those jobs and the things that they have to the standards they need. With the fact that the substance abuse deaths continue to rise as a community and as our police department, we know, I see this day to day in my community and in my business, you know the drug dealers, you know where the drug spots are, you know what the streets are that have the highest rates of crime, etc. We need to untie the police officers' hands, let them do their job and be proactive about this and put these people in jail, put them away, so they're not continuously back on the street after the second, third, fourth, and fifth time, just continuing to commit the crimes. Does by substance affect all of us all over the city? What needs to be done? And does the health department need more resources? Next up is Amy Holton Stewart. So the health department does a really good job in distributing the tools that, that are needed, um, not just with the police department, but with other first responders. We know that our EMS uh, workers and our firemen are really on the front line of reaching these individuals that have overdosed. Um, they carry Narcan with them, so it's readily available. And our health department is doing a great job equipping all of our first responders with that Narcan. With that being said, I think it's very obvious that our community, not just South and Southwest Louisville, but the city as a whole, is in need of more mental health resources. Mental health resource workers uh, are very hard to find and uh, it's very hard to equip offices um, with those personnel. So we need to uh, make sure that we are supporting um, mental health uh, offices, mental health resources, um, both public and privately funded, so that we can uh, make sure that that resource is available to all of these struggling individuals. You know, there is a lot of families that are dealing with this um, and they need to know that those resources are there in the community for them. Uh, and in District 25 alone, we are uh, very short on resources for, for mental health and, and substance abuse. So thank you very much. Would you consider an impact on children report slash review to apply to all legislation and Metro Council, just like we have an environmental review? Why or why not? Say that again. So would you consider an impact on children report or review to apply to all legislation of Metro Council just like we have an environmental review? Why or why not? And just to remind you, these are the Democrat and Republican candidates who are running for Metro Council District 25. Next up is Amy Holton Stewart, Democrat. Okay, well, I think personally that's a really tough question, um, and, I, and I'm just being very honest with you. Um, as, a, as a retired JCPS employee, I, I believe that JCPS does a fine job of, of working um, in the public education system. They do have bumps, but in all honesty, the, the, the root cause of the issues that are going on in the school is, is what's going on at home. The schools are a reflection of our society. So if it takes Metro Council legislating and um, putting a safety net in legislation that wraps its arm, arms around children, I'm certainly open to looking at that possibility. Um, but again, uh, JCPS and public education 
they do a fine job and they are they are fully funded and and able to to wrap their arms around these children. They now have mental health providers in the school. I'm proud to say that at PRP High School, where I retired, I was the first one to bring mental health counseling into PRP High School. So I think uh, um, I have always been an advocate for children, and if it and if it means us legislating and and putting that safety net uh, there in place for. Uh, to make sure that our children are incorporated into legislation, then that would be fine, yes. So I'm gonna read this question again because it's a, it's a tough one. Would you consider an impact on children report slash review to apply to all legislation of Metro Council, just like we have an environmental review? Why or why not? If I understand the question correctly, I think that we need to consider all of our population and our community as well as the children in legislation. Um, we continue to add, again, legislation on top of legislation to people who are not going to abide by that. And then you're just putting the constraints on the citizens that are following the law on the day to day. We do definitely need to consider um, making sure that our children are taken care of as well as the greater population that are gonna do their job, do it well, do the, obey by the law, and continue to move forward. And with that being said, I think, yes, children need to be taken care of in consideration of legislation as well as the rest of the population. Much of the work of Metro Council is done in committee. What skills would you bring to any of the committees which you hope to serve on? Next up is Khalil Charlie Batchen. So, I would love to be sitting on the Labor Development Public Safety Committee. With that being said, as an entrepreneur and a, self, and a business owner in the South End my entire life, I know what it takes to, to manage labor, to manage the cash flow, to, to operate my business and, and pivot in the hard times and the ebbs and flows. So with that being said, those are the things that I would like to sit on the committees of and be able to be a great resource for with knowing what it takes to to do a payroll, um, pay the bills, um, and watch operational costs. So again, much of the work of Metro Council is done in committee. What skills would you bring to any committee which you either currently serve on or which you hope to serve on? Next up is Amy Holton-Stewart. So first of all, I do sit on the Labor and Economic Committee um, with Louisville Metro Council, and I'm actively involved right now. So we want administration actively out there making sure that they are bidding for, um, for contracts that don't require um, to come before the Labor and Economic uh, Committee because um, it, it needs to be transparent. Uh, the Labor and Economic uh, Committee and Metro Council works uh, diligently to make sure that that is happening and that is becoming more and more transparent with economic development. Another committee that I'm, I'm very proud to sit on is the Parks Committee and I'm uh, some of the work that I have been actively involved uh, in the Parks Committee and when you're on the Parks Committee you get to advocate for your end of town. Uh, I have ad advocated for a new park in District 25 that I'm very excited about. Um, we're gonna be having a groundbreaking with that soon. So being on the Parks Committee, you get to think about the health and wellness um, and the happiness of a community in District 25, uh, lacks a park and we're getting a new one. Thirdly, I sit on the Government Oversight and Accountability Committee 
And in, in that committee, I have, I have stood up uh, shoulder to shoulder with our corrections FOP to make sure that their leadership has gone through a change uh, to support them. Thank you. How will you address the many problems at the county jail? The overcrowding, the deaths, the need for a new facility and drugs. Mm -hmm. Next up is Amy Holton Stewart. So our, our, our corrections facility downtown is in dire need. Um, and, but I have been working hand in hand with, with the, the new jail leadership and with the FOP Corrections Lodge to make some changes in the jail. Uh, one that I'm very proud of and worked very hard and fought for it uh, was a new canine unit uh, in, the, in the jail. This was to fight and combat the drugs that were entering the jail. It has been very successful so far. I've been supportive of the new jail leadership in getting some body scanners that they, that they needed. They also needed new working radios. All of these things keep our jail workers, our corrections officers safe, and it also keeps our inmates safe. There was an influx in drugs, but we are working very hard to make sure that those numbers are dwindling, and it has been very successful so far. So I'm very proud of my work. Um, they do need a new facility, and I think it's, in a, it's a, something that we're going to have to look at in a long-term budget. Um, there's some money, there's some surplus that we have, uh, and so maybe uh, that can be one of our goals is that we look at a new facility in, in the next several years. Okay, same question. So, how will you address the many problems at the county jail, the overcrowding, the deaths, the need for a new facility, and drugs? Next up is... Khalil Charlie Batchen. So the overcrowding, the drugs, and the deaths are obviously a major need, whether it comes to the safety of the officers working in the facility as well as the inmates. First and foremost, I think we need to do a great job and a better job of the leadership in the jail and the corrections facility, and that goes down to culture. If we can fix the culture of the leadership, we can continue to trickle that down. We need, as our leaders, to be good teachers, and if they're good teachers, they can be great leaders. So listening to the staff that with the boots on the ground in the jail to do a better job of figuring out the problems. As far as it goes for the new facility, if we can start to stop spending money on things that don't give us a return and put it towards the infrastructure of a new facility immediately, I think that would be a great opportunity that our city is passing on. We are diminished as a community by economic, racial, and age segregation. What will you do to remove those barriers and address the issues, including the issue of affordable housing? So government is supposed to serve, and as a leader in the hospitality industry, service is my profession. So that's what I'm gonna to look to do, is serve my community and my constituents. And when it comes to serving the entire city, not just within the Watterson, but outside the Watterson, we can do a better job at that within our city limits. We need to, again, invest our money into long-lasting infrastructure, not just the roads, not just the potholes, which are extremely important and nonpartisan, by the way. We need to invest in libraries, infrastructure in the libraries, updates in the libraries. We need to invest in community centers, health centers, parks, more TARC routes. When we start to bring affordable housing outside of the Watterson, 
that's going to put an influx in population outside the Waterson. And we need to have the infrastructure and the resources to get people to and from point A and point B. Just to remind you, or if you just tuned in, you're listening to the Democrat and Republican candidates for Metro Council District 25. This public forum was held September the 29th at the Iroquois Library and sponsored by the Louisville League of Women Voters. It was moderated by Maureen Welch, a League member, and you are listening to Election Connection on WFMP 106.5 FM with me, your host, Ruth Newman. Now let's continue with Ms. Welch's questions for the Metro Council District 25 candidates. Okay, let me repeat this question. We are diminished as a community by economic, racial, and age segregation. What will you do to remove those barriers and address the issues, including the issue of affordable housing? Next up is Amy Holton Stewart. First of all, I want to talk about um, public transportation uh, that does not exist in District 25. It goes north and south on Dixie Highway, north and south on Newcap Road, but there are no east-west connections. So if you live in District 25 and you talk about equity and in, in, in age, um, and, and you want to ride the TARC 3 bus, you cannot ride the TARC 3 bus unless you live three-quarters of a mile from Dixie Highway or three-quarters of a mile from Newcut Road. So I have been working very hard with TARC administration to make sure that those routes are added to District 25. I have been actively attending their, their community forums and making sure that our voice is heard and what our needs are for District 25. So that's first of all, our tra transportation and equity among them. As far as for affordable housing um, is concerned, I believe that we need affordable housing in Jefferson County, but I believe that it needs to be spread across all of Louisville. It doesn't need to be just concentrated in the south and southwest part of Louisville. So I'm fighting every day with zoning cases and making sure that affordable housing is spread across the county and that is equitable. I just want to say I think it's important that we have good planning when, when developing uh, these big housing uh, with sidewalks and lots of green space. So this is for Councilwoman Houghton Stewart. How will Louisville make up for the decreases in taxes mandated by the legislature and still answer the needs of Metro, including the issue of jobs and economic growth? Well, it's my understanding, Maureen, that we have actually a surplus in taxes this year. Uh, in fact, we have a surplus that we are actually um, reducing the tax rate uh, just barely, but the tax rate is being reduced right now um, in, in Metro government. So, so you'll notice that just a slight bit of tax decrease on your bill. Um, and like I said earlier, we do have um, some somewhat of a surplus right now in, in metro government. As far as economic development, um, and I want to talk specific about South and Southwest Louisville and economic development. Um, first of all, metro government is not in the business of owning um, businesses, um, but we can, uh, we can help um, attract new businesses. I have personally driven our area, all of District 25, created a spreadsheet of all the empty storefronts, um, their, their rental information, um, and, and shared all of this information with economic development. 
And I think it's important for them to have that information in their hands so that whenever a new business is looking at coming to Louisville, uh, that they have that information to say, hey, this is District 25 and we have all of these empty storefronts. Um, I also think it's important for our existing business and property owners in Valley Station to step up and clean up their, bus their businesses, clean up their storefronts, so that we don't have to worry anymore about these zoning enforcement cases that we have that um, create eyesores in our area. And that's how we're gonna create, that's how we're going to attract new businesses. Same question. How will Louisville make up for the decreases in taxes mandated by the legislature? and still answer the needs of Metro, including the issue of jobs and economic growth. Next up is Khalil Charlie Batchen. With the case of economic growth and jobs and attracting new business to our community and our city, first and foremost, yes, we have a surplus in taxes and revenue in our city, and that's gonna to continue to grow. So with that, we need to do a better job of investing in the buildings that the government uses, operational costs for the city to to watch what our profits are, as well as reshift, you know, the focus away from trying to take money away from the police department and using that to get a better candidate pool. Because if we have a better police force, we have great officers and safer streets and our community is safer, that's how you will attract new business from other cities into our city. Metro Council members have discretionary funds. Should they, and if so, how should they use them? Discretionary funds are also named NDFs. And rather than continuously to pass hundreds of dollars here, hundreds of dollars there for somebody's friend's nonprofit or, or so on and so forth, we need to do a better job as citizens and the Metro Council to making sure that our infrastructure is growing and putting that money towards those infrastructures that will have a long lasting five plus year turnaround, which is essentially an ROI on your money, a return on investment. And if we can do that, rather than spending money on parties and things that we don't know about that somebody's nonprofit said, hey, we need a thousand dollars for this, we need to continue to move forward. As, as much as I love nonprofits and I'm a part of a lot of them and I'm supportive of a hundred thousand of them, and I just need to know that as our NDF money is going towards the infrastructure in our community to give us a long lasting return on investment. Um, Councilwoman Houghton Stewart, Metro Council members have discretionary funds. Should they, and if so, how would you use them? I have no shame in giving NDF funds to some nonprofit organizations. In fact, Southwest Community Ministries, where Mr. Batshawn is a part of, just received some funding for a new freezer for their organization. Great organization, they do great community work. So they have been a recipient of some of those NDF funds. So I will continue to support those nonprofit organizations because this is one way that it feeds out to the community. Our constituents, they benefit from these nonprofit organizations. So I have no shame in giving um, part of our NDF funds. But I want to say that I carefully watch guard our NDF funds. In fact, I'm very active right now in making sure that we have those infrastructure things that he was talking about in place. Building a new sidewalk project just along St. Anthony's Church Road. 
from a huge um, population of, of people that live in apartments so that they have access to a main road so that their safety um, is, is secure so that they don't have to walk on St. Anthony's Church Road in the middle of the night in the pouring down rain. When I saw a man do that, I thought, I, don't, I can't believe we don't have a sidewalk, so we're going to build one. So I've also made sure that a lot of those NDF funds are being spent on our roads. And I'm very proud to say that we have paved more roads this year than in any past year. It's, it's paying off. I have another question for you. Would a study of homeless issues in Louisville help Louisville take better action? We can talk a lot about homeless. I'm not sure that we need any more studies because I know what's going on. And I think the city of Louisville knows what's going on. So I'm not sure that another study is necessarily needed. Um, but we do have an influx of homelessness in Louisville. And I know that they, there are some individuals that are coming in uh, to Louisville from, from out of state. And they are making their way down to Dixie Highway. In fact, I had a conversation with a homeless individual, had two recently, a, la a lady in the Kroger parking lot in, on, in Valley Station. And I asked her how she got here uh, to Valley Station. And she said, well, I came into Louisville. And then once I got to Louisville, I heard that Valley Station was the place to be uh, because, because we are fed a lot out here in, in Valley Station by some nonprofit organizations. So uh, I'm not sure that we need another study, but what we do need in District 25 and what we do need in South and Southwest Louisville are more resources for these individuals. And I'm not talking about basic needs. I'm not talking about food, clothing, and shelter. I'm talking about a connection to services. So I have secured funding for a mobile outreach van that will uh, reach all of the out outer limits of Louisville that will provide these individuals connections to mental health resources, connections to jobs, connections to long-term housing, and connections to get their ID, anything that they need to be successful in life and get off the streets. Same question. So would a study of homeless issues in Louisville help Louisville take better actions? Next up is Khalil Charlie Batchen. As Ms. Stewart said, we don't need to do any more studies. We need to get down to business. So. I was sitting in City Hall one day with the Restaurant Association and a, a business owner downtown asked um, the president of the council, why do we continuously have an influx in this homelessness? And the council member responded um, with zero hesitation, well, we have a bus that comes in from Virginia every week and drops them off at First and Broadway. And I simply responded, turn the bus around. We have to stop letting people come in. I'm sitting in my restaurant the other day and a guy comes in and he asks me for some money. And I said, what do you need it for? He says, to get on the bus. I said, where are you going? He goes, home. I said, where is home? He says, Cincinnati. I said, how'd you get here? He says, they paid me a check and money to get on a bus and that's how I ended up here. So we, that's our first one. We have to stop that. And then we need to do a better job about getting with the homeless coalition and organizations that are doing what they can to get the homelessness off the street, back into some sustainable work or mental health illness and substance abuse recovery. This is gonna be your all's last question before closing statement. So how will you communicate with your constituents and keep them informed? Next up is Khalil Charlie Batchen. So with communication to my constituents, I have no problem with um, I think it's um, a great opportunity for me to
do a weekly or bi-weekly newsletters, um, email letters, um, quarterly town halls, coffee with the councilman. Um, my restaurant is open and readily available for anyone to come and see me at any given time. Seven days a week I'm there. So I'm very easily accessible. I will make sure that my legislative aide is answering the phones and responding to the calls um, as they come in and making sure that I'm apprised and I'm communicated with at all and every aspect of the communication with my constituents. How will you communicate with your constituents and keep them informed? Next up is Amy Holton Stewart. So I think I'm pretty effective in communicating with my constituents. Um, I do a, a weekly news blast um, and I have thousands of people on the on that weekly news blast so uh, and they're very informative they they cover all zoning cases make sure that um, that we educate our constituents about what zoning issues might be important to them in their particular area and so I always make sure to include all, all the zoning cases on top of that um, I was out walking the first day I got the job I was out walking talking to people and I do do know that standing on someone's front porch is very important um, and, and you get to hear their concerns you get to hear um, what they like that's going on what they don't like what's going on so um, I will continue to do that as, as long as I'm in office um, so I, I do believe that, that those weekly newsletters work also have uh, quarterly um, town hall meetings that are very well attended um, people are, are very open and, and like to ask lots of questions and I have a great relationship and a great legislative aide who is very responsive um, hear nothing but praises about him and he, he passes off lots of phone calls to me and I'm very comfortable uh, in, in reaching those those constituents um, on my cell phone or even uh, make home visits quite often closing statements okay and I, and I want to thank you all for just standing up here and taking the grilling we appreciate that so much council member Amy Home Stewart you're going to be up first for a minute um, to kind of sum things up for us thank you I just want to say this uh, this last year and eight months um, has truly been a blessing to me I've enjoyed every minute of being the councilwoman for district 25 um, it is a public service position. It's a continuation of what I did in my past position, um, and it's just in my blood. It's just something that I, that I love to do. So uh, I want to be able to continue doing this for the next four years, and I have some really big projects started, and I want to make sure that those projects are, are completed. I believe that I'm the best candidate for this job because I am a lifelong resident of Prairie Village, um, where uh, as a part of District 25, Plus, I have worked uh, with children and with their disadvantaged youth and their families uh, for my entire career when I was at PRP High School and at Greenwood Elementary for 27 years. I believe it's those life experiences that have brought me to where I am today to be able to serve the community in an in open, trustworthy, and transparent way. Mr. Batchett, okay, a minute. Sum everything up for us. Okay, thank you. Um, why not me is the question. I'm doing this because service is my profession. It's in my blood. I've been serving the community well before I thought about getting paid for it on the Metro Council. So service is hands down my first and foremost thing that I want to do is take care of our community. So why not step up, step up into the ring and fight for our community, fight for our city to, to make change and to do better. 
Um, as a business owner, I've learned how to zig and zag through the curves, um, especially through COVID with regulations being hammered on the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry. I was able to pivot and move and make sure that my staff was employed, staying paid, and being taken care of. With all of this, the work we did with that, we continued to serve the community with free meals and different things in our local area for people that needed help. That was Khalil Charlie Batchen, Republican candidate for Metro Council, District 25, giving his closing statement at the Louisville League of Women Voters Candidate Forum, which was held September 29th at the Iroquois Public Library and moderated by League member Maureen Welch. He was joined by Amy Holton Stewart, incumbent and Democrat candidate. Now we're going to switch gears and listen in on a discussion of the two candidates who are running for U.S. Senate from Kentucky, the incumbent Rand Paul, who is the Republican, and his Democrat challenger Charles Booker. Now keep in mind that Forward Radio does not endorse any particular candidates or pieces of legislation, but we do endorse the need for an informed electorate. As such, we offer equal airtime to all registered candidates for any particular office, and you can get in touch with us at forwardradio.org. The next voice you hear is that of Victoria Strange. Okay, folks, I'm on Rand Paul's 2022 campaign website, and let me go briefly through his positions on the issues. America First is his number one listed issue, anyway, and this just basically means he says it's time to put our country first, and what I can see in the few sentences that he has about this, I think they're exactly two sentences, is basically to just eliminate all international aid, which I'm not too sure that's very um, Christian. Um, the Second Amendment, he is very, very pro-gun. He doesn't believe there should be any, basically any, federal gun control legislation, and I'm not sure what he thinks on the state level, but he basically thinks, you know... The Second Amendment was written to mean that Americans can carry any kind of gun, whether it's assault weapons or military-grade weapons. I don't know if he draws the line at flamethrowers or grenade launchers, <laughs> but anyway. IEDs. <laughs> no. He's very anti any kind of gun safety regulation. Then the next item he lists is parents' rights and school choice, which essentially means radicalized curriculums should not be acceptable to parents or you know he would he would stand up for allowing parents to determine more or less the curriculum that their children are taught at school uh, there should be no unnecessary vaccine requirements for school children no mask mandates and I'm just wondering if he's including all of the childhood vaccinations that he surely got probably and that I certainly got I mean, chicken pox, measles, We're now having mumps, whooping cough, scarlet oh. fever. Yeah. I mean, all these things that were devastating to the generations before us and that we now have a way to prevent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just too much government intrusion to... I mean, we couldn't go to school unless we had those vaccinations because the idea was to protect the other children in the school and the teachers and the parents. I mean, once you get... 
enough of a community vaccinated, and it has to be a pretty high level, then you kind of develop this immunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I guess we're going to throw all that away and decide that science is meaningless now. Because I, I bet Rand Paul had to be vaccinated. To, he's mm-hmm. younger than I am. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Anyway, criminal justice. He does have a decent position in terms of criminal justice. He feels that we shouldn't be incarcerating so many nonviolent offenders. And I agree with him 100%. As I said, he, he has some positions that seem to make sense to me and others that just seem not based in reality very well. But he believes that we should not. He has an act that he's uh, introduced called the Record Expungement Designed to Enhance Employment. Uh That's a mouthful, but it's the REDEEM Act, which will give Americans convicted of nonviolent crimes a second chance. I'm not sure if that means they shouldn't be incarcerated. He doesn't really say. But the goal is to prevent kids who get into trouble from slipping further into the prison system and and rather than becoming contribute you know having a chance to become gainfully employed citizens who are contributing to the society and the economy and all of that thing and i think that's all of those things and i think that's laudable now let me go back to the issues here next major thing is spending and debt and he is very very uh hardcore on this he really doesn't think that the federal government should be able to run a deficit. He thinks that spending should be severely curtailed and in the past has particularly supported cuts to the Department of Education, Health and Human Services, and the military to be fair, but less so the military. Oh, one of the other hot button issues, of course, is the availability of abortion for women. And he says he is, quote, 100% pro-life but I'm not sure that he is taking into consideration the life of the woman bearing the fertilized egg or the fetus because he just gives no details. He doesn't say anything about exceptions to save the life of the mother, exceptions for victims of rape or incest, uh, exceptions for um, women who are carrying non-viable fetuses, that is, fetuses who can't survive outside the womb, and they know that before birth, and yet you still, I guess, are forced to carry those to term, even though they won't survive. So that's his position on that. He's very, very adamant about that. And finally, I will just say that there is not one single word on his website that I can find about climate change or the environment. So that is a f- incredibly pressing issue, and I would say it's even a looming catastrophe <laughs> that he is paying no attention to. Oh, he's very opposed to the federal government spending more than it takes in. He's very much a proponent of a balanced budget amendment, which would mean that in situations like the pandemic we've been living through, when it was when everything was closed down to protect people before we had vaccines, it would mean, well, there's no money from the federal government to help support people who are unemployed because they can no longer go into work. In cases like the recent Eastern Kentucky devastating floods in Eastern Kentucky, sorry, no money from the federal government, no FEMA coming in because we just can't afford that. We have to keep the budget balanced. And I just think this completely unrealistic. 
I don't know what Senator Paul's position was with the flooding in eastern Kentucky. Was he saying he didn't want any federal dollars to come in? It would seem like that. I mean, <laughs> I kind of doubt it, but that's according to his website. You know, mm-hmm. you, shouldn't, you should just pull yourself up by your bootstraps with whatever the state government might be able to provide. And since he also wants to essentially cut income taxes down to nothing, I'm not sure how much. Did you say he was against... When Detroit had... Oh, yes. Detroit declared bankruptcy back in 2000, somewhere around 2012 or 2013. No, in an interview with Breitbart News in 2013, he said he would not allow the government to attempt to bail out the city of Detroit because we're not going to bail them out. We're going to do it over my dead body because we don't have any money in Washington. So would he say that if there were a major city in Kentucky declaring bankruptcy? That sounds rather elitist to me. Yes, and not very productive. I mean, what if what if this becomes commonplace? You know, what if there are cities going bankrupt and you're just not helping them out when you can because the federal government does not have to run, run a balanced budget? But if you pass an amendment like this... It will tie the federal government's hands in such a way that they will not be able to respond to things like threats to national security. If you're on the right, that's something that seems to concern people of both persuasions, but particularly on the right. National security, defense, health crises like the COVID pandemic, natural disasters, which seem to be hitting with increasing regularity here. So, anyway, those are his positions, and like I said, oh, he does have some also agreement with people on the left side of the political aisle, which is that the sort of endless wars that we've been in without Congress officially declaring war should come to an end, and that we should follow what it says in the Constitution, which is that Congress has the power to declare war rather than these, like, this open-ended authorization to use military force that I think was issued in the George W. Bush administration to allow us to go into Iraq and is sort of still sitting out there, this open-ended thing. Mm-hmm. So I think he's right on that issue very much. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's a little bit, he's a little bit of a conundrum. But I would say that his positions on certain really important issues are sort of at odds with reality and are not sort of. They are. <laughs> they are. And so, you know, I'm not going to endorse or, or reject, but I'm just saying that's something to consider when you're casting your vote. Okay, now we're going to talk about Charles Booker, who is the Democrat running against Rand Paul for the U.S. Senate seat, now held by Rand Paul. So Rand Paul is the incumbent. Uh, Booker was born in 1984 here in Louisville. He's a native Louisvillian. His parents um, both had had to drop out of high school to tend to siblings in their family. So he, on the other hand, graduated from Louisville Male High School, earned a BS in political science and a Juris Doctor degree from the University of Louisville. So he's quite an achiever and... I'm sure his parents' encouragement and support had a lot to do with that. He uh, first ran for office in 2016, running against Gerald Neal in the Democratic 
primary for the 33rd district in the Kentucky Senate, but he lost to Mr. Neal. And then when Daryl Owens retired from representing the 43rd district in the Kentucky House, Booker ran and won the Democratic nomination. He ran the primary, won the Democratic nomination, and defeated the Republican candidate in that race by 56%. So he has served in the Kentucky House. In 2020, he entered the U.S. Senate race in Kentucky and lost to Amy McGrath, a Navy pilot, I believe, a female Navy pilot in the Democratic primary, and then she went on to be defeated by our longtime, longtime Senator Mitch McConnell. And uh, Booker is very inspiring to me. I heard him speak uh, before, I think it was before he launched his official campaign in the Democratic primary when he ran against McGrath. And he was a very inspiring speaker. He was talking about he has, uh, I believe, three daughters with his wife, and he was talking about running to try to make the future better for them and for all children. And he was just a really, a really uh, sincere and uplifting speaker and saying, you can accomplish your dreams, don't give up, it seems hopeless, but keep going. And I think his, his own history says that he really truly believes that because he's obviously an achiever. His positions on the issues are very different in most cases from Rand Paul. Um, for one thing, he's very concerned about uh, the environment and climate change. He is very supportive of uh, the Green New Deal and a sustainable economy, family farming rather than corporate agriculture, and of course, there are big issues like health care. He is a believer in universal health care, which I think the, the name for that in American politics is Medicare for All. And uh, he believes health care is a human right and that, it, you know, health care industry should not operate on the basis of profit. So he believes that we have to pass Medicare for All as a program similar to what every other country in the highly developed world has some form of universal health care. We're the only ones who don't. He also believes in, which I think this is super important, he has on his website a heading that says Making Democracy Real. And what he says is that we're in a battle for saving our democracy. And uh, he actually says our democracy is hanging by a thread. And as it stands now, there are way too many in the U.S. Congress trying to chop away at that thread every chance they get. And I don't think I'm really saying anything wrong to say those people are all Republicans. That's just the way it is. He has been uh, a leader in criminal justice reform. He believes in pushing for full automatic restoration of voting rights to Kentuckians who have been uh, convicted of a felony but who have completed their sentences. And he says that he would even push for federal legislation to ensure full automatic restoration of voting rights to those individuals. He's also a strong supporter of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which would 
greatly increase access to the ballot box for Americans instead of making it more difficult to vote, which we seem to be on that path these days. It would be making it easier to vote. There would be uh, things like same-day voter registration, more time to vote early, no excuses needed for absentee ballots, universal mail-in voting, which is the most secure form of voting, apparently. Yes, it is. And there are some states that use only mail-in voting. Yes. The state of Washington. And they received an award for having the most secure voting system in the country, and theirs is all mail-in. Mail-in and drop box right. boxes. And so when you hear all of this talk about mail-in voting being fraudulent, those are falsehoods, so don't believe it. Anyway, and he also thinks Election Day should be declared a national holiday, which I think is great. Then people don't have to worry about getting off work or squeezing in that vote or going, you know. And again, if you have more early voting, more drop boxes, mail-in voting, expanded polling places, you, you don't have to stand in a six-hour long line to vote, as so many people in certain communities where they, you know... They highly restricted the voting. Yes, and yeah. I believe the new laws in Texas indicate that there will be one drop box per county. And Harris County, which is home to Houston, has millions of voters. And they will have one drop box. I mean, that is beyond nuts to me, but it's, it's, there's a purpose behind it. And it's to keep, you know, to keep it more difficult to vote. I don't know how you can say that's a good thing for a democracy. He's a strong believer in the power of organized labor, which is seeing a little bit of a renaissance right now, or at least a little bit of resurgence. He also is a proponent of universal basic income. It does say that universal basic income is uh, to, you know, try to end poverty. Um, if you have a low-wage job and you can't even pay your rent, let alone pay for your medicine and your groceries, um, it gives you just that bit of extra income that you need to make ends meet. He believes that that will help us end generational poverty here in Kentucky. Uh, and he also believes in enacting universal basic capital, which is a um, really interesting idea. I've heard a little bit about this, but it's the goal is to help individuals build lifelong wealth by issuing baby bonds. So you're your baby here when you when a child is born it receives a bond of x amount and that will grow over time if you make long-term financial investments with that money which would be the objective that would just be for families at or below the poverty line but so it would bring the level the playing field a little bit more you wouldn't get a baby bond if you're born to a a family with income above the poverty line so I think he has some very interesting positions. He's um, an inspiring person. He seems to be sincere. And I think he really does have a vision that we're all in this together because, well, his big campaign slogan or his slogan that I think he came up with this, and I really like it, is from the hood to the holler. He believes that to truly have a policies made in the public interest rather than in the interest of certain 
elites, the people who have the most money, the corporations that can fund your campaign more chest. You need to have people united from all segments of society, uh, whether you're a farmer in rural western Kentucky or you're a coal miner in eastern Kentucky or you're living in the West End in Louisville or you're a middle-class aging baby boomer like me. <laughs> you join forces because literally the, the people have the power. The people, the public has the power. Um, and we're, you know, we don't need to allow ourselves to be controlled by the few who have so many resources in terms of financial and power resources. And they have the power because they have the financial resources to devote to campaigns. So obviously another big issue would be campaign finance reform, and I'm sure he's in favor of that as well. He being Charles Booker, the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate. And I, I think the, his point also, with the, from the hood to the holler, was that people who are in rural parts of Kentucky have much more in common with people on the West End and people who ha are living in poverty exactly. here in Louisville and other cities. Yes. It's that they're, they have much more in common than they do apart from each other because they are going through the same kinds of economic struggles exactly. and running up against the same kinds of obstacles. Yes. Like, and that they should unite and they should see themselves as, as, as a force. For the common good. But for the common good, right. And I think that, unfortunately, um, it seems that we are allowing ourselves to be divided by these sort of cultural you know, issues that are not, do not have really anything to do with people's daily lives, but somehow they can be used to gin up passions on one side of an issue. Mm -hmm. Take the abortion issue, for instance, or the issue of, let's think. Transgender. Uh, yes. I mean, instead of focusing on allowing more people to vote or moving toward universal health care, which the Affordable Care Act was a step in that direction, but we need to go further, or combating climate change. I mean, those are big, huge existential issues that are affecting every single one of us, rich or poor. And to focus on things like transgender athletes or banning books in schools, it's just, it's just a red herring to keep people divided and to keep a certain elite in power. That was Victoria Strange reporting on her findings and her conclusions as regards the two candidates for U.S. Senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul, Republican, and Charles Booker, Democrat. You can listen to Election Connection every Tuesday at 6 p.m., Wednesday at 10 a.m., and later on Wednesday at midnight. You can also access archived shows by going to www.forwardradio.org, clicking on Programs, and selecting Election Connection. Thank you for listening to Election Connection.